We're going to turn to Luke chapter 19, John chapter 1, and Galatians chapter 3. Luke 19, John 1, Galatians 3. Before we read together, let's bow in prayer. Gracious God, I thank you again that we can come to your word, and I thank you for the experience that Karen and Raya and I had up uh, there at the Barbers Church of Scotland on the Isle of Lewis. We do pray, Lord God, that there would be an increase of blessing upon that church going forward from this time, uh, that you would really minister to them, and that they would see the fruit of this breakthrough and that it would be some kind of revival. So uh, we do pray for that, Lord, and we pray that that would continue to have an impact on us here in this place. And I do pray, Lord, that you'd help us to learn some of the lessons of the island and uh, show us how to implement those here uh, in London uh, in a very different context with uh, very different challenges. Uh, But I pray that you'd show us how to do that. Now, Lord, as we go to your word now, I pray that you just surround us uh, with your Holy Spirit, surround us as well with warrior angels. I pray, Lord God, that your voice would be the only voice that we hear today, that Jesus Christ would receive all the glory, honor, and praise, uh, and every other voice in our heart and our minds would be stilled now in the name and authority of the Lord Jesus, whether it's from anxiety or from the enemy, whatever it might be, that you'd quiet every other voice in our hearts and our minds and let us hear Jesus speaking to us clearly and faithfully and boldly today. And I pray, Father, that your spirit would rest on me, that I can bring your word to your people through Jesus Christ. Let your spirit fill me up to overflowing and give me unction today and guide me as we minister together. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Since it's Palm Sunday today, we'll read that passage there from Luke chapter 19, starting with verse 28. And when Jesus had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage at Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village in front of you where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say, say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and found uh, it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need need of it. And they brought it to Jesus. Now, have you ever thought about how funny this is? You know, just imagine driving your car down and somebody, a couple of guys coming up and say, hey, give us the keys for your car. Why should I give you the keys for my car? Oh, the Lord has need of it. Oh, okay. Well, in that case, here, take it. Yeah, but it's, it's always funny to me. Uh, and as they rode along, and let's see, and they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered, I tell you the truth, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. 
And then let's go over to John. John chapter 1. <clears throat> and I just want to actually just, uh, we'll read verse, starting with verse 11 uh, down to 13. Jesus came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And then to Galatians, the third chapter, we pick up with verse 23 and read down to chapter 4, verse 7. And it's always helpful to remember that the uh, chapter and verse markers were not there in the original Greek and Hebrew. They've only been added later to help us to refer to it because it's quite a, quite a big book. We'll start with verse 23. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. I always find it rather interesting how people in the world today like to talk about their rights. You know, we focus on our rights. I have the right to do this. I have the right to vote. I have the right to do what I want to do. I have the right to sleep with whomever I want to sleep. And this whole issue about rights has really found its way into the body of Christ. And so you go to a lot of churches and you'll have people there say, well, well, you know, I have the right to speak my mind or I have the right uh, to tell the pastor what to do or I have the right uh, to, to demand that the church meet my needs or I have the right uh, to, uh, to be listened to or I have the right, you know, and so on and so on and so on. And we like to talk about rights. We don't really like to talk about our responsibilities. Yet, when you look at the Bible, the focus is completely opposite. There's a lot of talk about our responsibilities and very little talk about our rights. In fact, as, I, as I've looked through the scripture, uh, particularly for Christians, there's only two rights that we have. 
If you happen to be an apostle or a church leader, you have the right to be accompanied by a believing spouse. That's a right, according to Paul. Peter exercised that right. Paul didn't because he didn't uh, have a spouse. But Peter exercised that right, and Paul affirmed it. He said, Peter has the right to be accompanied by a believing spouse. So don't complain when the, when the wife goes along with them. And by the way, that's one of the reasons why Karen goes with me almost everywhere when I do ministry. Uh, it's kind of one of my rights to be accompanied by a believing spouse. And it's also a lot safer because uh, she keeps me in line and it's really handy. And she helps me remember names and things like that. Uh, when, when she's not around, I'm really lost uh, in that respect. So everybody becomes Bubba and Bubette, I guess, or something like that. Anyway, but the big right, and there is one right that every single Christian has, according to the Bible. Every Christian has this right. If you're not a Christian, you don't have this right. But if you are a Christian, you have the right. And the right is this, according to John, to be called children of God. That is your right as a believer in Jesus, to be called a child of God. Not every human being is a child of God. We sometimes like to talk about that, and in fact, you've got groups such as Freemasonry that will talk about the brotherhood of man and the fatherhood of God, meaning that, you know, everybody, God's the father of everybody, but that's not what the Bible says. He's only the father of everybody insofar in the limited sense that he's the creator, but we don't, nobody has the right to call God Father except God's children. And that's what we are. We are the children of God. These past number of weeks when I've been preaching, I've been talking about this union with Christ. And I've been saying that our salvation comes when we are united with Jesus Christ. That somehow it's a mystery, but it's very real that when we become a believer in Jesus, Jesus comes to live inside of us in a very real way, in a very intimate way. Jesus is in us, and we are in Jesus. Jesus in us, and we in Jesus. And that union with Christ comes as our salvation. In fact, if you don't have the union with Christ, you're not saved. So when we are saved by grace through faith, it's not faith in some intellectual idea that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. It's faith that as Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, I was dying on the cross and rising from the dead with him because I have been united with Christ. I have been united with Christ. And because of that, I have salvation. We saw that the first week. Because we are united with Christ, we have justification. God declares us righteous in a legal way, but he also transforms us into righteous people by our union with Christ. We also have sanctification, which means that Jesus cleanses us and consecrates us to himself, uniting us with himself. And we have, through that union with Christ, adoption. We become children of God. More specifically, we become sons of God. When we are united with Jesus Christ the Son, we become like Him a son of God. And this means that men and women both are sons of God. I've spoken on this before, uh, but it's very important to remember this. 
Men and women are equally sons of God. A lot of women protest and say, well, no, I want to be a daughter of God. No, you don't. You want to be a son of God because in the biblical context, it was the sons who received an inheritance. Daughters did not. Sons received the inheritance. And so what Paul is saying, what God is saying, is that as we become sons of God, we receive the inheritance, whether we are men or women, we receive an equal inheritance along with Jesus himself. And that's an amazing thing. That means that women, you are not second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. That's why Paul would say that women can prophesy just like men can prophesy, that women will have the gifts of the Spirit just like men will have the gifts of the Spirit. I know Paul was very free on that and praising women like Lydia and, and others who demonstrated leadership uh, in the body of Christ. He affirmed them uh, because they were sons of God. He wasn't affirming them because they were women. He was affirming them because of their sonship in God through Jesus Christ. So we have been adopted as sons. We have been adopted as sons. Through our union with Jesus, we participate in his relationship with the Father. We were estranged and alienated from God, but in Christ, we are reconciled to God as his sons. We are born again. We have a new birth. We don't understand exactly how that happens, but we know that the old is gone and the new has come if we are in Christ Jesus. We are born again and adopted as children of God. And this is true for all men and women. This is true for everybody who is a follower of Jesus. We participate fully and equally in Jesus' relationship to the Father. We don't become gods. We don't become divine but we become the full, we come into the fullness of our humanity through what Jesus Christ has done for us in union with him. And this is our reality in union with Christ. It's true for, for every man and woman in Christ Jesus. Now because of that, we have responsibilities. As sons, we have responsibilities. And I'll mention three briefly. And I'm going through this rather quickly because there's a ministry time that's coming. As sons, we must reflect our Father's image. That is, when people see us, they should see our Father. They should see the reflection of our Father as they see, as they see us. We reflect our Father's image. Our second responsibility, we must be about our Father's business. Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we, as sons of God, have a part in the business of God, bringing his loving rulership all across the face of the earth. And that's our Father's business. And we do this as sons. And now, some people will say, well, aren't we supposed to be servants? Yes, we are. But here's the, here's the key. Every true son will serve his father. Every true son will serve his father. But not every servant is a true son. And I've seen a lot of people in the body of Christ. There are a lot of ministers in the body of Christ who are ministers not because they're sons of God. They're ministers because they decided they want to serve God in some way. And some of these ministers are not even converted. They don't even really know Jesus. 
And you can do that. People can serve God for a very long period of time and make it seem like they're a real follower of Jesus when actually, no, they're not. They're just serving. They're acting as a servant and they're doing it because of what they get out of it. A son will be about his father's business because he's a son, not because he's going to get something out of it because he knows if you're about your father's business, you have the business already if you're a son. That's Paul's point there. If you're an heir, you own everything right now. You don't have to work to own it. You already own it. And so that's our reality as sons. Our third responsibility is that we must be our father's representative. We reflect his image. We're about his business. But also, you are his representative. That means when you go to work tomorrow, you go to work tomorrow as a son of God. And you represent your father in how you do business and how you conduct yourself at work. If you go to the supermarket tomorrow, you go as a son of God, and your responsibility is to represent the Father as you're in the supermarket. And if you start to behave in ways that don't represent the Father, then there's an issue. There's a problem. So those are our responsibilities. But to do these responsibilities, we have some incredible privileges. We have the family relationships. Jesus is our elder brother and our friend, as well as our Lord and Savior. That's an amazing thing. Uh, one of the great uh, uh, American, I, I don't know so much it's here, but it, it's, it's, it's almost a cliche American myth kind of thing. Uh, that if there's uh, an older brother and a younger brother in the same school, that when they're out on the playground, if somebody messes with the younger brother, then the older brother comes in, right? And, and that probably happens everywhere around the world, uh, but they talk about it a lot in the States. Uh, and it, it, is, it is a reality. I know my sister and I could have had knock-down, drag-out kinds of fights at home, but if anybody messed with her outside the home, I would be in their face, I know that's, that's the way it works, right? Uh, if that's true for us as human beings, how much truer is it for us with Jesus? If Jesus is our older brother, when we're out on the proverbial playground of life and we start, and we start being bullied by an enemy, whether it's human or spiritual, guess who's there at our defense? And that's one of our privileges of sonship. Jesus is our brother, as well as our friend, as well as our Savior and our Lord. And we call God Father. We call God Daddy. Paul says here that as soon as you become a Christian, the spirit of adoption enters your heart. This is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ. He comes in so we can call God Abba, Father. Abba means Daddy. Or whatever that word would be in your own language. That's the word that Jesus said that we could use with regard to father, with our Father. But not only do we have these relationships, we also have the family resources. If we are heirs in Christ Jesus, if we are already owners of everything, we have those resources. One of the biggest problems in the world today is Christians with a scarcity mindset. We don't live in scarcity, we live in the abundance of God. Sometimes God doesn't share that abundance with us because we're not ready to receive it. Just as 
you know, most, most parents wouldn't give their two-year-old child 100,000 pounds and say, go do what you want. The child doesn't have that level of wisdom yet. It could destroy the child. You know, so sometimes we're not ready for it. And so God has to get us ready. And so we have that scarcity. Sometimes God keeps us in that place for a season because he's teaching us and training us to use the resources wisely. And so we'll go through that season. But that does not change the reality that we have the family resources. And we can call upon those resources as we are about our Father's business. You cannot call on those resources for your own personal business, for your own personal benefit, but you certainly can do it to be about the Father's business. And here's the key. You really need to search your heart and mind because there's a lot of Christians who can make it sound like they're about the Father's business when actually they're about their own business. And you see that a lot. Uh, but we do have the family resources. Also, we have the family inheritance. We are guaranteed as children, as sons of God, that we will receive the inheritance that God has promised for us. And that's an amazing thing. A lot of times Christians are, are fearful that they're going to lose their inheritance, that they're going to lose what God has for them, but that's not the case. God has adopted us into his family and God doesn't unadopt his people. God doesn't unadopt his sons. Once we are adopted, we stay adopted. It's one of the things that really disturbs me today when I see, because I, I, I am adopted, one of the things that disturbs me uh, in culture here in the UK and also now in the US are parents who adopt children and then can basically turn them back after they've been adopted. Say, well, this is not working out. I'm going to give them back. That's not really adoption. Uh, when God adopts us, he doesn't give us back. He doesn't give us back. And so it's important for us to understand that. Now, I've done a lot of teaching over the years on our sonship, and so I'm not going to delve into that deeper because I want to do some ministry now. Because it's not the sonship issue, uh, it is how we undermine our sonship. And this is one of the great sadnesses of my life. Uh, my heart is repeatedly broken because of this. And, and so I felt it was really important today as I was praying about today to talk about it. Uh, and some of my observations actually comes from Hebrews chapter 12, uh, which I didn't read, but I would encourage you to read. Uh, but one of the things that I see consistently are Christians who undermine their sonship and therefore do not walk into the fullness of that relationship. Understand, as a Christian, I'm not talking about you losing your sonship. But some Christians so undermine their sonship that they never in this life fully experience what God has for them. That they never in this life come to reflect their father's image or continue their father's business or be their father's representative. And there are a number of highly predictable things that people do. Uh, in fact, there's four that I'm going to mention. Uh, 
And these are so incredibly predictable that it really causes probably greater sadness for me because it's a, like an avoidable train crash. If you see a crash coming and you say this crash could be avoided and you see it unfolding in slow motion, but you know that you cannot be the one that's avoiding the train crash because it's not your train to crash. Does that make sense? And, but you see it and you see it unfold. And so I want to tell you these things because you need to examine your life. And for each one, we're going to do just a, a moment or two of ministry. So we'll end up going a little bit long today. Uh, but we're going to do a, a moment or two of ministry, and you'll need to continue on. So four things I want to mention briefly. The first thing is not taking care of our relationships with our brothers and sisters. Or beyond that, but our brothers and sisters in Christ, the other sons of God not taking care of our relationships. In Hebrews 12, the writer says, strive for peace with everyone and for holiness. Strive, work at this for peace with everyone. Uh, and I have seen people, even people here in the history of City Temple, uh, I'm not going to point out people in the congregation here uh, because I don't know that anybody here is in any of these things. Uh, if you are, it's not me, uh, please be aware, if any of this relates to you personally, it's not because I sat last week and said, okay, how can I get Olashina? Okay? So please understand that I, I, I never do that. Uh, and I think I told you all that story before. I, I did that one time in my first church where I thought, you know, God, this sermon is a perfect sermon for this person in the church. And I, and I tailored the sermon. I didn't use the person's name, but I tailored the sermon so that the person couldn't possibly miss that this sermon was for, for the person. Uh, and, and, I, and I was ready. And this person never misses church, by the way. That Sunday, she wasn't in church. And, uh, and the Lord spoke to me afterwards and said, Rod, don't you ever do that again. Uh, so since that day, I have never done that. Uh, so that's, that's my little side note there. Okay. But we have to take care of our relationships in the body of Christ. I have seen people who have amazing promises from God, even here at City Temple in the past whom God had spoken to them and said, okay, you're going to receive this, you'll receive this, and there were blessings, and then they went around and they destroyed their relationships with other people, primarily through bitterness and offense-taking. Uh, so you must take care of your relationships with other brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, particularly those that are around you, uh, and you must work diligently to give grace and preserve relationship. You must work diligently to give grace and preserve relationship. That makes sense? So I'm going to pray now, and I'm going to ask the Lord to show you if there is somebody that you have had a bit of brokenness with, your fault or their fault really doesn't matter, but the Lord is going to put some names in your mind and he's going to tell you, you need to get right with these people. And I don't know how you're going to do it. 
He'll tell you how to do it, uh, but you need to listen to him. So let's pray. Father, I thank you uh, for this from you. And I do pray, Lord, if there is anyone uh, that maybe we have something against or any relationship that we have not been preserving or any grace that we need to give, I pray that you'd bring that person's name or those people's name into our minds right now. And Father, I pray that you would show us what we need to do to promote healing in those relationships. All to the grace and honor of Jesus. Amen. Now write those names down. Don't forget them. But I want to give you one encouragement as well, too. It takes two people to have a relationship. All you can do is give grace and be open. That's all you can do. If the other person doesn't take their responsibility to build that relationship, then it's their issue with God, not yours. So you don't have to pursue them. You don't have to go after them. You don't have to try to make them come around to your way of thinking. Just give grace, be open, express your desire to have a healthy relationship, and then see how they respond. And again, if they don't respond, it's their issue. Now, a second thing, and it's really related to the first one, is taking offense. This always undermines our sonship. Whenever we take offense or allow a root of bitterness because of unforgiveness to spring up in our hearts, you undermine your sonship. If you are taking offense, you're not hurting anybody but yourself. And remember what we say here. You cannot be offended unless you choose to take it. Nobody can give it to me. You know, Federico, he could come up to me and say, well, Rod, you're kind of ugly, man. He'd never do that because he's such a great guy. You know, he could say, you're kind of ugly. And I'd say, well, you know, Federico, I might need a second opinion about that. And he says, well, yeah, you're too tall, too. You know, so it, it could be, you know, he could do that, but that would not offend me unless I chose to let it offend me. Right? And sometimes we take offense when none is intended because we're not giving grace and preserving relationships, by the way. So people take offense, and I have seen believers in Jesus get amazing prophetic words over their life, but then turn right around and take offense and refuse to forgive, and they miss their inheritance. Don't get me wrong, God will not allow you to experience your inheritance as a son of God if you are an offendable person. If you are holding on to offense, it gives no room for you to hold on to the gifts that God wants to give you. If there's a root of bitterness in your heart, that root will choke out every root of grace and holiness and love that you carry around in your life. So don't take offense. Don't take offense. So what do you do with it? Well, we're going to do some ministry again, so I invite everybody to stand. Yeah, you got to move around a little bit. I don't want you to be sitting there. Uh, Move around a little bit. 
Now, hold your hands out in front of you like this. And I'm going to pray and ask God to put any offense that you've been carrying in your hands. And I want you to feel the weight of the offense, okay? So just feel it as God puts it there. So Father God, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would put the weight of offense that we've been carrying around in our hands. Just let it, just let it come. Let God show you every offense that you've been holding on to. I'm a bit disappointed in myself because I'm, I'm seeing a little bit of offense that I've held on to. I'm going to slap myself later. Just feel it. Lord, just continue to pile it on. Continue to pile on any offense that we've been holding on to. Lord, add to that any unforgiveness, anything that's wounded us. Okay, now you can open your eyes. Now, don't, don't take your hands down. Feel that. Uh, feel the weight. Some of you are, are like, no weight at all. But some of you are like, right now. Okay, so what do you do with this? You got the weight. This is what you do with it. You drop it. So on the count of three, just drop it. One, two, three. Just release it. Now, here's the thing. You can sit down. Don't pick it up again. Leave it where it's at. And do this every day. Don't carry offense from one day to the next. And it's so easy to do. But if you do, you will undermine your sonship. The third area is sexual immorality. And this is one of Satan's great tactics against the body of Christ today. Uh, you got pornography. Uh, and, you know, many films today are pornographic. You know, they're not even 18 rated. Uh, they would have been X rated 30 years ago, uh, are not even allowed. Uh, and so this fills our minds. Uh, now, most guys that I've talked to, and gals are involved with this too, uh, they feel such guilt and shame because of this. I'm going to break this off of you right now. If you repent, you are forgiven. The Bible clearly says if you confess your sin, whether it's watching pornography or any other kind of sexual engagement, if you confess your sin, God is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So every time you confess your sin, God cleanses you. That is a scriptural promise, and it's the enemy that condemns you. The enemy wants to make you ashamed. Don't allow him to do it. And if you have sinned sexually uh, in, a, in a physical way with somebody else, then you need to release that. Say, Lord, I want to cut off any ties, any ties, soul ties, we call them, with the person uh, and just renounce it. So I'm going to ask right now that the Lord would come and minister to everybody in this area. So let's bow in prayer. Father God, I thank you for the truth of your word that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So Lord, right now in the quiet of our hearts, we want to confess to you any sin sexually
especially that which is undermining our sonship. And just in the quiet of your heart, lift it up to the Lord. Father, I thank you that the promise of your word that is, as we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us by the blood of Jesus from all unrighteousness. Therefore, in the name and authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, I declare that every person who in this moment has confessed their sin in this area is forgiven in Jesus' name. And I pray, Father God, that right now, you would help us to cut off any soul tie that we've created, either with an image in our minds uh, or with an actual person through any kind of sexual immorality. And I pray that you would heal us and restore us to full union with Christ. And I thank you that you're doing it right now in Jesus' name. Thank you. Amen. And then the last area is the area of unholiness. Uh, and the example here was Esau. Now, what did Esau do? Esau had his birthright as a son. He was the firstborn son. What did he do? He traded his birthright for a pot of stew. He traded his birthright for the felt needs of the moment. And I see this happen so many times. And the Bible calls this unholiness. Why is it unholiness? It's unholiness. Holiness is about us being consecrated and set apart for the Lord. So we're declared holy. We're consecrated to Jesus. We're set apart for a special purpose. And we have our inheritance. And whenever we forsake that inheritance and go back to the place of, un, uh, of sinfulness, we're being unholy and we're turning our back on our heritage. It's a bit like Nathan said a few weeks ago in his sermon, you know, if you walk from the Jesus camp into the Adam camp of sin, you're turning your back on your inheritance there. So we don't want to do that. But that's exactly uh, what Esau did. He forgot that he, as a son, had been set apart for a special purpose, and so he sold his birthright for the perceived needs of the moment. And there are a lot of ways that sons do this, uh, too many to, to describe all of them. Uh, a big way that I have seen sons do this, and by the way, sons, again, men and women, is through divorce. I've seen so many Christians choose to divorce their spouse because they thought that there was another person, a better person. I've even seen church leaders do this, uh, and it is astounding to me because what they're doing is they're selling their birthright. They're selling their birthright uh, for the felt needs of the moment. Oh, this, this woman uh, loves me more. This woman's more attractive. This woman's a better mate. This woman's a better, uh, better person. This woman is hindering my ministry, and so I'm going to walk away from that. Uh, and that always sells your birthright. Uh, that is a big way. Another big way that I've seen Christians sell their birthright is by church hopping. Uh, I don't believe that any person is in one church for life uh, unless God occasionally tells them or unless you're on the Isle of Lewis uh, in Barvis in the Church of Scotland when there aren't many other churches to choose from. And so if you're going to live in that community of about four, five, six, seven, eight hundred people, then, you know, you'll probably be in that church most of your life. Uh, but here in a place like London, you know, I don't believe that people are in a church for life, but what I have seen 
is that people go from church to church to church for a new experience uh, because they think the ministry is bigger, better, brighter, or whatever. And time after time, I have seen Christians walk away from their birthright where God has said, hey, I've got a heritage for you in this place if you'll only make the commitment. Now, the problem is it's hard to make the commitment. Because like me, when I came here, I thought I'd be here three to five years, and now 16 and a half years later, I'm still here. Uh, And sometimes the commitment is much longer than we had anticipated. And sometimes it's a lot more difficult. I didn't think that this church would be as tough as it's been. Uh, I didn't think it'd be smooth sailing, but I didn't think I'd have some of the hardships we've had. And it's a struggle, and nothing is easy. And, and I, I, I kind of look up to some of the American churches who, you know, they think, oh, yeah, we've gone through a difficult time. And I look at the time they've gone through, and I say, you don't know difficult. You know, you've not walked down that path. Uh, and then I look at us, and I know that what we've gone through has not really been that difficult because I see some of my brothers and sisters in Christ in places in Asia, in Africa, uh, and the suffering and persecution and things that they go through. And I say, you know, thank you, God, that I have this difficulty and not that difficulty. Uh, so we can all deceive ourselves into thinking that what we're going through is tougher than what it actually is. And we can walk away from it and thereby forsake our birthright. We trade the birthright for the felt needs of the moment, and sometimes the felt needs of the moment are a whole lot more intense than the reality of something that may or may not happen in the future. But don't do it. Don't do it. There might be a time, and those are only two examples, by the way. There's a number of other things. Uh, I've seen... For example, I've seen a lot of young men, young women, say in their early 20s, that you know, they're Christians and they set out on a path to follow Jesus, but then they meet a non-Christian who's very attractive, very appealing, and they fall in love with that person and they give their heart away, and they end up trading their heritage for that relationship. And sometimes, most often, that relationship does not end up being a lifetime marriage relationship. Most often, that relationship seems good for a few years and then causes people to shipwreck their faith. I mean, this number of ways. The, the number of ways is probably as vast as the number of people that there are. The big thing is, do not trade your inheritance as a son for the felt needs of the moment. Be sure if you feel God telling you to do something, that it's really God. That it's really God. Uh, And so, Father, I pray that you would show us if there is any way that we may be tempted to trade our inheritance for the felt needs of the moment. Show us what that might be, Lord God, so that we might resist that temptation right now. And Lord... I know that your grace and favor upon us as your children is greater than the grace and favor that was even upon Jacob and Esau. And so, Father, I pray that if there is any way when we have walked away from our inheritance that you would allow us to repent and come back like the prodigal son and receive that inheritance through the glory and praise of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. As Paul says in Romans chapter 8, 
the whole creation right now is groaning in anticipation for the sons of God to be revealed. That is what God wants to do in and through each one of you. Reveal himself in the world. You are sons of God, and you have an amazing inheritance, and you have an amazing responsibility, and don't underestimate it. A lot of times we, get, we fool ourselves. We think, well, I've got to be a pastor or a missionary, a uh, church leader, uh, or something like that in order to make a difference as a son of God, but that's not true. I'll close with one story. Uh, many, many years ago, there was a congregational church in Boston. Uh, had a deacon in that church. It would be like elders in our church. Uh, there was a deacon in that church who was a merchant, uh, but he hated to speak in front of people. Uh, he didn't like to pray out loud. Uh, he didn't think that there was any kind of churchy, Christian stuff that he could do. Uh, he wasn't gifted for it. He didn't like it. Uh, he, he was really gifted for the marketplace. Uh, but as he thought about what he might do, he had this idea. He said, you know what I am going to do is every Sunday, because they had the tradition of having a big Sunday lunch after church uh, in the homes, he said, every Sunday what I'm going to do from now on is I'm going to set two extra dinner plates for Sunday lunch. And I'm going to invite young men in the church who have no place to go, I'm going to invite them to come back to our home and have Sunday lunch and share with them. Uh, and for years, that's what he did. He had Sunday lunch, and every Sunday, there were a couple of guys in his home. Uh, sometimes the guys would be there for three, four months or, or longer. Uh, sometimes it was a one-off or a, a two-time kind of thing. But he went through all of this, and eventually, as all people, he died. And he was going to be buried, this a number of years ago, before cars and things, he was going to be buried in a, a neighboring town. So they decided to charter a train to take the mourners to the town where he was going to be buried. Uh, and somebody had the idea, you know, let's dedicate one car on this train for the young men he invited over for dinner. And the day came for the funeral, and over 150 young men crowded that car. These were men whose lives had been changed simply by setting two extra dinner plates. As uh, sons of God, we make a difference beyond what we can ask, anticipate, or imagine. And uh, we need to have that confidence. We need to embrace our responsibilities as sons, but also we must stop doing those things that undermine our sonship so we can walk into the fullness of our calling and destiny as sons of God. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for my brothers and sisters here in this church. I thank you, Lord, for these amazing sons of God. And I pray for myself, Father, that you would keep me from doing anything that would undermine my sonship. Lord, I know that I am so prone to do so many things, and I pray that you'd protect me, Lord, in this. I don't want to undermine my sonship at all. I want to walk faithfully with you. And I, and I pray that for all of my brothers and sisters here, Lord, that you would certainly show us today, not allow us to leave this place still doing something that might undermine our sonship, but help us to walk in freedom through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I pray, Father, as well, I pray that you would help us to take up fully our responsibilities as sons 
and show us how for each of us you want us to walk in that reality of reflecting our Father's image, of being about our Father's business, about doing, being our Father's representative in the world around us. Show each of us how we are to do that and so reflect our real sonship in your Son, Jesus Christ. We love you and we praise you and worship you for all this. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.